Hello, welcome to Spotlight, brightening the new year of 2023. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. And if you're new to Spotlight, let me tell you, it's Manx Radio's weekly arts programme in conjunction with our friends at the Isle of Man Arts Council, celebrating the myriad of artistic endeavours which you will find on the Isle of Man. And if you feel you're involved in one of those, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Doesn't matter whether it's a book, a play, some poetry, something visual, a musical, album, whatever. If it ticks the arts box, get in contact and let's do something here on Spotlight. How do you get in contact? Spotlight at manxradio.com or direct to me, Howard Kane, Howard Kane, that's C-A-I-N-E, at maxradio.com. And we'll get something sorted. I thought we might indulge ourselves this week with a little look back at some of my favourite, just some, I enjoy them all before you ask, some of my favourite pieces from the last year, 2022, and a little audio taster of the last 12 months. We'll start with Eva Petrova, coming to the end of her tenure as Manx Youth Bard and the former Manx Bard Owen Atkinson. And Eva explained a little bit about the judging process for the Bard. So first we we each write a couple of poems. You can submit up to three poems. And then the there's sort of a selection between all of them. And you, there's chosen two, one for the runner-up and one for the Manx Youth Bard. And they both uh, turn up for an audition. Then you sit before a panel of judges and read out your poetry and do a little introduction. Nerve-wracking? <laughs> Very. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also, at the end, you perform it in front of sort of the parents and the people who have come to watch you. What is it that draws you to poetry then? I think, yeah, not a lot of people that at my age, I don't, I barely know anyone who sort of writes poetry. Mm. And I like writing poetry because, again, it's sort of different from everyone else, but it's also a form of writing. I like writing in general, and it helps it helps me to sort of relax and also to explore sort of a range of different topics which might not be talked about as much or might not have that much attention on them. And it's you sort of see them more as... Because, again, I think what, people, what a lot of young people quite often do like is maybe getting into bands and playing with music, but you always think of these more as poems rather than writing songs, which a lot of folk might do, I guess. No, I do... I like music. I'm mm. quite musical as well, but I've never really written a song because I find it easier with poetry when it doesn't need, like, a tune mm. and everything. Mm-hmm. What about you, and when, when did you get going? Was it something... Did you start out at an early age, or was it sort of a bit, a bit later on in life that you sort of thought that you really liked the idea of expressing yourself through poetry? Um, so I properly started writing um, when I was at university, um, so maybe at 19 or 20 years old. Um I wrote a little in school, as as most people do um, in English lessons, mm. as you were saying. But um, yeah, I thought um, it just came out from um, a need to express something, really. Um, I've always been into writing. I studied languages as, as my degree, and kind of a love of language is where a lot of my poetry comes from. Um, and yeah, it's just a way of um, getting stuff out, mostly, to be honest. It's, it's very cathartic. It's very relaxing and um, it helps you process things, I find. 
And it's a surprising number of people that I know. You quite often find I chat to people, and I've done a couple of little bits over here, and you, you bump it. And think, I didn't know you wrote poetry. And people who sort of, they're sort of closet poets, if you know what I mean. You <laughs> sure. sort of, I thought, There's a few people I've known, I've known for years, and they oh, yeah, I quite like writing a bit of poetry. On, you know, just for, yeah. as you say, just to express themselves, just to put something down. And it's not a story. It's not for song. It's sometimes not even, they're not really thinking of doing anything specific with it. They just enjoy the process of writing poetry. Yeah, the actual writing process itself is can be the most valuable thing for a lot of people i always encourage people to share their to share their work you know um as, as the manx bard i do organize events and stuff every now and then and i attend um and kind of help out with open mics and things like that mm-hmm. um which is a great it's really obviously great to be able to share something so vulnerable but for a lot of people yeah the actual act of writing itself is enough and i think that's that's quite beautiful as well so what was it you were on the judging panel i think with the with the other some of the other former bards as well yeah that's right so um yeah, it was me and, and a couple of other of the 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 previous Manx bars. Although I say previous, I once a bard, always a bard. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. Eva and Owen, a new theatre company dedicated to performing the classics, took to the stage at the King's Court Theatre at King William's last summer. We dropped into rehearsals for Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing to talk to some of the main players. Charlie Williams, and I am one of the co-founders of Paradox Theatre Company. So what was the concept behind it? Was it basically, let's do Shakespeare? It was really, uh, let's start a theatre company, to be honest. Um, my friend Alex and I, Alex Armstrong, who's been involved in theatre as well, I've been involved in theatre, and we had a conversation over a beer as a lot of good ideas start, and said we'd both really like to do this. We saw a kind of lack of classic theatre in the Isle of Man to a certain degree, especially Shakespeare, which is what we're starting with, and um, where a lot of UK companies come over, but there's not much for Max actors to really get their teeth into. So yeah, we thought that's really great. We want to try and do something along those lines, and uh, everybody that we spoke to was very excited about it and got a lot of people involved so what appeals to you about Shakespeare I think it's timeless really I think that's the main thing that appeals to me about it it's something that you know at school you kind of made to read and it's always difficult to read but Shakespeare's not meant to be read it's meant to be seen it's meant to be watched experienced and I think that it, it deals with themes that are you know timeless as I say they're, they're, they're ever present in society and I think that's why he's lasted so long and is, is so enjoyed and also it's just great writing um, and still makes people laugh and cry today so that's, that's why I enjoyed it Are you surprised there's not been more Shakespeare as you say there's been a couple of all island plays schools I guess do it but really it's not been tackled elsewhere I am really and I think that this you know we've had audiences come and see the UK companies when they come over and do it and it's been really well received I sometimes heard a few people say well we don't know if there's really the actors on the island that can tackle Shakespeare and I thought that was a nonsense to be honest and I think that's evident hopefully if you come and see the show by everybody who's in this production because they're all a fantastic cast and there are amazing actors on the Isle of Man who can definitely tackle Shakespeare and hopefully we'll see more of it now off the back of this. We can do this, then Cupid is no longer an archer. His glory shall be ours, for we are the only love gods. I'm Lorcan O'Mahony, I play Claudio. Shakespeare, new to you or something you've done a lot of over the years? Nothing I've ever done before, no. I uh, Usually musical theatre and the gaiety is, is what I'm used to. Um, I did Blood Brothers in terms of plays um, uh, two, three years ago, so yeah, Shakespeare is very new. New experience, new way of learning lines. It's like speaking a language I've never spoken before. Hello, I'm David Dawson, the director. Ever busy, as we're hearing. 
Or how did you tackle this? Is it something have you done Shakespeare before from a directing point of view or indeed acting? Very rare. This is only the second time I've directed Shakespeare. So, um, and I, I kind of wanted the, the challenge um, and I knew we were going to have a, a fantastic cast, a, a lovely mixed cast because we have got some real kind of experienced players within Shakespeare and, and the plays um, with the likes of uh, Lisa and, and Peter who are playing our leads. And then we have the likes of Lorcan and Danny who I'm used to working with much more on the, on the gaiety stage with the musicals, but it, it was a good challenge for them to kind of go, let's, let's bring you in and, and, and give you a test. And they've done fantastically well. And I think they, they judge themselves too harshly, to be honest, I think. But as you would do, I think, with Shakespeare. Um, but I think it is, it's, it's something, and as Dandy mentioned, I think the, the modernization side of it is, is because we are playing people. Shakespeare did a beautiful job of writing for people, you know, their, their flaws and all. Uh, and actually, that's kind of what comes across. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, we're going for the kind of classical uh, Shakespeare view. Nothing different for this one. We're not trying to be out of the box. Um, but the characters just work so well. Um, you know, he knew what he was doing, didn't he? So. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to. He seemed to arrive a few good ones, didn't he? I was going to say, did you approach it from the very beginning with a clear idea of how you wanted to actually stage it? Because with Shakespeare, you can go any which way. Yeah, um, I think we, we had a, a big conversation, myself and Charlie and Alex, uh, about where we wanted to go with it. And it very much was, we didn't want to try and do anything um, out of the ordinary. It wasn't, it didn't need the bells and whistles. You know, the language is beautiful. The story is beautiful. Um, so actually, we wanted to focus more on the Characters, so we've we very much made it quite so it's slick, it's fast-paced, it moves beautifully, uh, and I, again, it just allows the humour in the in the writing to come across. Um, because really, let's be fair, those who who enjoy Shakespeare, that's what they'll come and watch and, and enjoy. Um, they don't want to see something that's set, you know, present day and with glitter balls and this and the other. That's not the case always. So for this one, it's traditional and it's working. Did you have to sort of um, cut it down at all? Are we having the whole play, or is it being trimmed a little? There's been a few changes here and there, but nothing that you won't turn up and go, this isn't, you know, this isn't the show. Uh, this isn't much ado. Um, but it's uh, just allowed things to move a little bit easier for us. Uh, and also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big play. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got it so it kind of does march on. Um, but, yeah, you won't see anything out of the ordinary. You won't kind of think you've missed too much. Hospice Dolphins made a big splash in 2022. Wonderful things they are and were. And one of them had a designer who was out of this world, quite literally. Astronaut and artist and honorary Manxwoman Nicole Stott. Down the line from the States, she told me how her involvement in the project had come about. Well, I was asked, actually, our friend Chris Hall, who works with Hospice and, you know, many other groups there on the island, reached out and invited me to participate and... And then along with the folks at hospice there uh, on the island, uh, was able, yeah, to, to design a space dolphin. The mind boggles. So what is or how did you interpret space dolphin? <laughs> well, it's really actually it'll probably be one of the simpler uh, designs that you'll see of all the dolphins uh, there as part of Big Splash. The dolphin itself is just this kind of starry uh, iridescent, uh, deep blue color. And then the pedestal, the wave that's kind of lifting it up is uh, a rocket launch. And it's really beautiful. And Kate Somerville from the island um, there was the artist that actually implemented, did the whole beautiful painting of the dolphin. And I was going to say, this is exactly, so you, you did the actual design, but it was executed by, by Kate. Yes. Yes. 
And her artwork is gorgeous. I'm sure you've seen it around the island uh, in murals and and paintings, just very, uh, very tropical and of the ocean is what I've seen of it. And she did a really wonderful job with the with the space dolphin as well. So what did you actually want to convey in your design on this dolphin? Because all the dolphins are different, and I think each one is going to have some sort of... It would be saying something. There'll be a message behind it. What would you say was the, the message behind your design? Well, I think you'll you'll notice on the, on the design when you see it that there's this rocket launching. It's got all the colours of the Isle of Man kind of lifting off from the Isle of Man. And I really... Um, like with everything I'm doing these days, I really want people to understand that all of what we're doing in space off the earth is ultimately about improving life on the earth. And so this dolphin is meant to be uh, a crewmate, not a passenger of spaceship earth to represent all of us earthlings. And, and I think just to make us aware of how all of the really wonderful work we're doing in space is, is ultimately about improving life here on our planetary home. And is that something you're sort of passionate about, getting that message across between sometimes there is a bit of a disconnect, isn't there, between sort of well-being and what people actually perceive and what they see maybe going on in the space station with any of the missions going on. Is that something you're passionate about, getting that sort of message across? Absolutely. And I think I think it's something that uh, that people aren't necessarily aware of. And so it's important to me that that I do share that message and you know, the idea, I mean, simple things like, oh, my gosh, we live on a planet, all Earthlings, only border that matters, that thin blue line of atmosphere. And we tried to capture that in the artwork on the dolphin as well. And then in the end, with respect to, you know, the Isle of Man, this amazing UNESCO only country designated as a UNESCO biosphere. Um, I'm so proud of that and the work that's going on there. And this connection, I think, that we need to make between personal health and planetary health. And, you know, how well we can do that if we, we decide to be, behave like crewmates and not passengers here. Slightly more down to earth is the wonderful Wurlitzer in the Villa Arcade. And there was a chance to hear it in all its glory, being played by some top-notch players during the series of summer concerts. We caught up with organiser Keith Simpson. There you go. I bet you recognise that one. Even I recognise that one. I do like to be beside the seaside, of course, played here on the Wurlitzer organ, famously in the Villa Marina Arcade. There can't be many people who uh, haven't heard it, seen it at one stage or other. And uh, we've dropped down today because it's coming up to that season where you'll have a great chance to hear some wonderful organists uh, making the most of the Villa Arcade at Wurlitzer. Uh, played today with... Well, you can introduce yourself, sir. Hello, Howard. It's uh, Keith Simpson here. I'm uh, one of the friends of the Isle of Man, Wurlitzer. And it's very kind of you to come here to the Villa Arcade to see this uh, magnificent instrument. It is absolutely terrific. Magnificent is the word. Now, the one thing is, of course, you look at the organ and you think, people think of organs. They think of maybe electronic organs. They think of the church organs they might well have seen in their youth and dotted around churches in the island and the Wurlitzer. What's the big difference there? Uh, yeah, um, glad you asked that. Uh, many people, uh, when I say I'm an organist, uh, their eyes, eyes glaze over and they say, oh yeah, yeah, because the only organ they've ever heard is the organ in a church. This one's very different. It's called a theatre organ. 
or more accurately it ought to be called a cinema organ and I'll come back onto that in a, in a moment but the story of these cinema organs started over 130 years ago on the uh, Riddle in Merseyside with a chap called Robert Hope Jones. He was a church organist uh, but he was also a very senior telephone engineer and he decided that he wanted the console which is this bit with the keyboards um, to be separate from the pipes. Prior to that they were always joined by bits of wood if you like called trackers or uh, very thin tubular lead pipes uh, but being a telephone engineer of course he could play with uh, cables, relays, uh, electromagnets and he managed to do this in his own church. He famously had a photo taken of the organ outside the church while he's playing for the services. And that's long before COVID. What a good idea for the organist to be ahead of his time, though. He certainly was. Well, he went on to um, build a factory in Birkenhead with um, over 200 organs. He mainly supplied to churches and cathedrals, including Worcester Cathedral in England. Um, but he realised that he's missing a trick here because the cinemas by that time had silent movies with no dialogue, no sound at all. And we were having pianists in most of the cinemas. Well, the bigger cinemas, of course, had to pay out for a full orchestra and that was costing them serious money at union rates to pay for each member. So he said, well, what if we change the church organ to have some orchestral sounds? So he did this, and um, he was making good progress, but by the time he'd moved to America in 1903, he joined up with Rudolf Verlitzer, um, who was at that time making barrel organs in America. And they worked a way together of having a console built uh, separate from the organ uh, so that the uh, screen could come on, and you'd very often see in cinemas the, the organ raise up from the ground, yeah, yeah. as indeed they still do in, in Blackpool, uh, in Blackpool Tower. Um, so the, org the organ would come up, and it would be like a, a mini orchestra. And to this day, there's a plaque on every Wurlitzer organ that calls it the, the Hope Jones Unit Orchestra, rather than just call it a Wurlitzer organ. <laughs> Literary works never far away from Spotlight, of course, no shortage of wonderful local authors. A new author, to the best of my knowledge, for 2022, with a fascinating book mixing poetry, science and her passion for the sea, was Dr Fiona Gale, who came to the Spotlight studio to tell us more about her much acclaimed work, Spring Tides. All the work I did a long time ago when I first moved back to the Isle of Man around um, raising awareness of what we have in our seas, that I suppose made me aware of how once people realise what we have got, how, how they really care about it and, and just giving, I really wanted to think of a, you know, more innovative ways of giving people the opportunity to, to appreciate what amazing marine life we have around the Isle of Man and about around the British Isles more widely. Um, so about six years ago, I had the idea of writing, you know, some kind of book about fabulous marine life and featuring my favourite things like horse mussel reefs and seagrass beds. But it was actually um, the editor that I worked with, the, the publishers that eventually published the book, that that encouraged me to make it more of a personal story. So, um, yeah, I de definitely didn't set out to write a memoir, but it, it evolved into that. Something, I think, which has really come to the fore over the last couple of years with with lockdown 
how the sort of sea just as a, a body, as it were, has these sort of transformative powers. And you see now, I've never known so many people wanting to go and dip in the sea, walk by the sea, paddle in the sea, and just sort of almost this immersion somehow or other has a... It, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's not really so much scientific as, a, as, as an effect on the soul. Yeah, and it's so nice to see that. I think, you know, we have seen that transformation on the island that you see so much so many more people out on the sea and in the sea and appreciating it and in the countryside more widely I suppose because of that period where we, we appreciated it so much because it was you know it was it was all we had in a way and I think what's really interesting is that there's so much research coming out now you know scientific research from um, you know universities around the world showing that there were, you know there's, there's evidence of, of you know the actual physical and mental benefits of, of spending time near the sea and and, um, and in nature so you know it's it's so nice to see that on the Isle of Man and you know it's something I write about in terms of you know um, Ramsey Marine Nature Reserve which is the you know one of the focuses of the book just seeing lots of people out on the water and in the water on the beach and enjoying it and it's 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 so lovely to see and it and it means that so many more people are having those amazing kind of one-to-one or um in you know um, encounters with nature that that you know, they previously wouldn't have had. It's exciting. And we can never forget that annual celebration of the best in music, dance and drama on the Isle of Man, the Guild. It's blue ribbon event, the Cleveland Medal, this year won by the wonderful Paul Costain. To finish, a snippet of Paul's medal-winning performance. <laughs> what a voice. Here's to 2023, when I think we can safely say that no matter what else is thrown our way, we will have a plethora of wonderful artistic happenings taking place in halls, theatres, cinemas, galleries, studios, libraries and indeed outdoors to lift the spirits and nourish the soul. Onwards and upwards. See you next week. Cheerio. In Mozart's opera Don Giovanni, Leporello, Don Giovanni's servant, has kept a list, a catalogue of all his master's sexual conquests. Across Europe, they total 2,065. <laughs> Women of every age, shape, and size. In the winter, he likes them plump. In the summer, he prefers them thin. If she wears a skirt, you know what's on his mind. Madamina, il catalogo questo delle belle che ho mio, un catalogo che ho Osservate, leggete come, osservate, leggete come. In Italia 640, in Almania 231, 100 in Francia, Turchia non 21, ma
Don't he grow, don't he fall, don't he fall, don't he fall. 